Hey, my name's Doug. If you don't know me, I work with the students here at the church, and I'm also the, uh, yes, that's awesome. We got some high school students here tonight. Um, I'm also the other builded, uh, excuse me, bearded bald guy here at the church. So Steve's got me beat by a little bit. He's got like eight months on me, but I'm still working on it. So, you know, trying, but how, you guys are doing well. I already asked you that. Very good. How's everybody's Christmas? Happy weekend after Christmas. Was it good? Good Christmas? Yeah? It was great. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. You know what? One thing, I'll I'll tell you this about my Christmas. It went really fast. Anybody else feel like it went really fast? Did anybody gain any weight besides me? A little bit. Yeah, right? I, I don't know what happened, but it seems like Black Friday, well, I guess Black Thursday now, right? Kind of to Christmas is just light speed, right? I mean, it gets going and it is here and then it is gone and it is just super fast. And I call this sort of the in-between time. Christmas is all this energy and excitement. And I know we had like 10 services here at the church and just tons of ramp up and then it's gone. And then we're sort of gotten this in-between and then we got New Year's coming up and we're starting 2013. And it's sort of a time of uh, reflection. And it's sort of in the air. When you turn on the TV, you see like the best YouTube videos of 2012. And you see like kind of the best of or the craziest thing that happened last year. And it's sort of a time of looking back and looking forward. And we all sort of do that. Some of us do New Year's resolutions. I don't because I never keep them. But, you know, you might. And I've been doing that just in this time, just sort of looking back on 2012. And um, as I think about it, you know, it was sort of a, it was a good year. Some good stuff happened. I turned 30. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah. You guys like, yeah, you're so young, but you know, 30, man. I feel feel like an adult now when you become 30. It's very, it's like serious, right? So I turned 30 and there were some good things that happened to me this year. And there also were uh, some challenging things that happened to me. And I think for all of us, we look back on the year and we see, you know, there were some goods, there were some highs, there were some lows. And some of us here today, we reflect back on 2012 and we say, you know what? 2012 was a great year. Things went great for me. And you might say that. You might resonate with that. You might say 2012 was a highlight year. Maybe you switched jobs and got a better job. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had a baby or you had a grandchild born for the first time. Or I don't know what happened to you. But maybe you might look back and say, you know what? 2012 was gangbusters. It was great. I made more money that year than I have before. It was a great year. And others of us, we might look at 2012 and we might say, it wasn't that great of a year. 2012 was kind of a challenging year. In fact, some of us might even say that we're not too sad to see 2012 go in a new year come. Some of us here might have had some loss last year. Maybe loss of a job, financial loss, foreclosure, loss of a marriage. Or even loss of a loved one. I, um, about a month ago, uh, my family, um, we went to uh, Texas for my grandfather's 92nd birthday. And uh, it was just a sweet weekend. It was a great time. My whole family was there. And um, we celebrated his birthday. He had ice cream. He was super happy. And um, then the next day, tragically, he passed away. And it was one of those moments where it was the most bittersweet Weekend. It was so cool that we all were there, yet it's just a loss. It's just a loss. And I look at that and I reflect on that and I think, you know, that was just, that was a hard deal. 
And I imagine you might feel something like that. You might look back and say, you know what, I lost someone last year. Or I, I, I look back and I say, it was, it was challenging. In addition, as we look back and then we also look forward, there's so many unknown things coming, right? I mean, this is a time of looking forward to 2013 and thinking about the goals and what we want to do. And there's just so much unknown out there. Like, what's going to happen with my career? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't like my job and I want to switch jobs. And how is that going to go next year? How is that going to go for me? How is that going to go for my family? How are we going to make that financial adjustment? What's going to happen? Or maybe you're wondering yourself right now, how am I ever going to make those sales numbers next year? How am I ever going to make all the things I need to do and get done next year on my team? Or, how, or if you own your own business, the question that always lingers out there is, where's my next job coming from? The unknown can be a scary thing. And if you're a parent here tonight, I mean, that is one of those things. I mean, how many unknown, n- unknowns are there when it comes to our kids? How are they going to do next year? How are they going to do in school? How are they going to um, succeed? What kind of choices are they going to make? How are they going to handle the relationships that they're in right now? Or thinking about your spouse, maybe you're married tonight and you're like, you look back on 2012 and you say, our marriage isn't in a good place. And I look ahead and there's some question marks. And maybe you're here alone tonight. And maybe there's a sense of concern moving forward. Or maybe you're single and you're here tonight and you have that nagging question, that question like, will I ever be married? Will I ever find the person I'm supposed to be with? I mean, these questions that linger and confront us. Or if you're a middle school student or a high school student here, and you look out over the next semester and you see your class load and you see the pressure that is waiting for you, and there's this question, can I do it? Can I make it? What will I do? Or have you ever had questions in regards to your health? If you've ever been to the doctor's office and recently and the doctors looked at you and said, you know what? Here's some concerns. Here's some questions. Here's some things that we got to keep an eye on. If there's an unknown there, and it's scary. I think as a nation, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Man, when I turn on the uh, news or the TV and I hear all about just the fiscal cliff and, you know, all the, the things that are waiting out there in 2013, there's just a lot of unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty. What's going to happen next year? How is it going to go? What's, going to, what's it going to be like? And there's a big question that is there. It's, it's, will things get better? Is there hope? Is there hope for us moving on into this new year? How is it going to be? Is there hope? Is there hope beyond what we see around us? A hope beyond circumstances in 2013? I took a class a few semesters ago called Learning to Interpret Scripture. I'm in seminary right now, and um, it was a really hard class. It was hard for me. I've never been a very good school person, so school is a struggle for me. Um, But it was a great class. I really enjoyed it. And my professor had this guiding principle that he would say often about the Bible. He said that all of Scripture is not always about us. That when we read the Bible, it's not always about us, yet everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations is for us. It may not always be about us, but it is always for us. 
For us meaning it's helpful for us. It's for our growth. It's for our health. It's for our parenting. It's for our marriages. It's for our careers, our businesses, our whole lives. It's the necessary tool teaching us the way to live, protecting us from disaster, confronting us when we're off track, encouraging us when we're discouraged. It's our good and it's for God's glory. All of scripture is for you and for me. Another takeaway that I I walked away from the class with is, is that all scripture is for us. And whenever God speaks, there is hope. Whenever God speaks, there is hope. And the fact that God would speak to you and he would speak to me, there's hope. Despite the craziness, despite fiscal cliffs, despite all the crazy situations we see going on around us, there's hope because God would speak to us. This evening, I want to look at a passage of scripture where I think this comes out clear, this idea of hope beyond circumstances. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Give you a little background about what's happening. Uh, In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He, um, and he was called that because he delivered often his messages were pretty sad. There were a lot, he spoke during a time of Israel's history when things were not going well. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of pain nationally. And during this time, Babylon was this growing world empire led by the great leader, Nebuchadnezzar. And Babylon was rising to power. And in the story of Jeremiah, Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar comes to the nation of Israel and destroys it. He wipes it out and he takes people into captivity. And Babylon is is situated right about where modern day Iraq is, about 800 miles away from Israel. And so Jeremiah is speaking during this time. He's speaking during this time of the nation of Israel being in exile in Babylon. In particular, Jeremiah 29 is a letter. He writes a letter to this nation in exile. And this is what he says. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. He says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there. Do not decrease. Makes an interesting command to this nation in exile. He says to his people, he says, What I want you to do is I want you to get comfortable with the idea that you're going to live in Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, take part in the economy, get married, have babies, take your place in Babylon because I, the Lord, your Lord has brought you there. See, everybody on the earth now thought the Hebrew God, Yahweh was out of business. They thought he was out of business because his people was, were in exile. His temple was destroyed and his people have been basically thrown to the wolves and put in a foreign nation. And God says to his people, he says, I want you to set up camp. 
Situate yourself there. You're going to be in exile at Babylon. Then he goes on to say in verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God says to his people in exile, I want you to pray for Babylon. I want you to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. I guarantee this had to make every single Hebrew person very angry because they hated the Babylonians. They hated Nebuchadnezzar. And here God says, you know what I care about you doing? I care about you engaging and loving and praying for this evil empire. And pray for the leader of the empire you don't like. I know you don't like Nebuchadnezzar, but pray for him. Love this nation because if it prospers, you will prosper. All the false prophets of the time were saying, don't worry, guys, God is going to restore our nation. He's going to fix it. He's going to make the situation good again. In two years, we're going to be placed back in our hometown. And Jeremiah, the, the real prophet, says, no, 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 don't detach. We got to engage. God has placed us here. We have to love the Babylonians. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. He says, in 70 years, I will bring you back. To which everybody in exile said, wait a minute. I'm not going to be alive in 70 years. So God is basically saying to everyone in exile, you will die in Babylon. It won't be 70 years before I bring you back. So the question is, where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that? God, you're telling me to build houses, plant gardens, pray for the Babylonians, and then I'm going to die in Babylon? Where's the hope in that? believe God gives the Hebrew people three promises. And I think those, these promises are about them yet. They are for us today. And these are his promises. He says, I think the first promise in, in chapter or verse 11, he says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. I think God's reminding his people that he loves them. I think God is saying to his people, he says, I love you. I know everybody is saying that I've abandoned you and I've forgotten about you and I don't care anymore, but I want you to know that I have, I love you. I have plans for you. I have a hope for you. And he's speaking specifically about these people, but I think the same message is for us today that God has a hope for us. 
God has a plan for us. He says that he loves us. And throughout the New Testament, we see this thing unpacked that God says just resoundingly, I love you. Jesus said one time, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. And that epic verse in John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world. He made a plan. He, he sent Jesus for a hope and a future. God says to Israel, and he would say to us today that he loves us. He loves us. The second thing he says to them is in verse 12. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says to his people, you will find me in Babylon. He says to them, you will find me in your exile. When things are the worst, you will find me. You can find me in Babylon. I think this is for us as well, that when the world is falling apart and there's fiscal cliffs and it doesn't look good for the future and our marriage is falling apart and it feels like Babylon, it feels like exile, I think God would say to you and he would say to me, you can find me in Babylon. God says that he loves us and he says that we can find him. And the third thing I think he says is he says in verse 14, he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. He says to the nation, I'm going to put things right again. The nation will be restored. I will give you a kingdom again. I will rebuild the temple. I will give you a throne again. I will fix the nation. And we know from history that he does do that. In 70 years, the nation goes back. I think this is for us as well. I think the hope for us is that we can trust God with our futures. We can trust God with our futures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 It says this, it says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though, now for a little while, while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We can trust God with our futures. This verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is a, um, a verse we see often. It's um, on coffee cups and keychains and T-shirts and given as graduation presents on different things. And 
I used to think, or it, it can be sometimes taken out of context, I think. I think sometimes we can take it and say, this is God's promise for a comfortable, happy, healthy, wealthy life. And I want to suggest to you guys today that this verse does not say that, but rather it gives a better hope than that. It gives a better hope. It gives us an unshakable hope that we have a hope that will not fail. I think Jeremiah 29 is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about the living hope that we can have in Christ. The unshakable hope we can have in him. A hope that does not fade. This message that he gives that God loves us, that he is with us, and we can trust him with our future is a hope that will not go away despite our changing times. There's a, um, a pretty famous pastor that I've been following over the past number of years. You may have heard of him before. His name is Ed Dobson. And he, um, back in the 80s, he was the, uh, one of the president or the president of the moral majority and uh, was a pastor of a church out in Grand Rapids for a number of years. And he's an author and he's, he's a fairly famous guy. And he um, recently came down with Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, he tells his story in a video I want to show you guys in a second. It's a little bit of a long video, but I, I just think it's very helpful driving this point home that there is a hope beyond circumstance. And so this is Ed's story. I love being a pastor. You get to walk with people in the best of times and the worst of times. And over the years, I have dealt with all sorts of people in all sorts of circumstances. And my joy has been to give them a sense of hope. Every Christmas, we would do what was called Festival of Lights. For me, Christmas was really the most exciting time of the year. It was family and friends and gifts and trees and mangers. But most of all, Christmas was about hope, joy, and peace. It was uplifting and exciting. But that was the Christmas I learned I was dying. I thought this will be my last Christmas. I didn't want to show up at the festival. I didn't want to see people, be around people, asking me how I was doing. I didn't want to go. I wanted to sit home alone. 
my wife said, you need to go. People need to hear what you have to say. ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease is a degenerative disease, which means it gets worse and worse. Eventually, it affects swallowing, chewing, breathing, and when the lungs go, you end up dying. They don't know what causes it, and there's no cure. Basically, they said, you have two to five years to live. My wife has become the hands in my life when my hands don't work right. I wanted to see my daughter get married, walk her down the aisle, wanted to watch my grandkids grow up. around people with feeding tubes and ventilators and whenever I see someone like that I'm seeing a reflection of my own future when you're told you're dying and the process of dying is awful there's not much hope in that I didn't want to show up at the festival. And my wife said, you have to go. So I got in my truck. I was driving, and my phone rang, and it was Billy. Billy has more stuff wrong with him than most people I have ever met. For over 20 years, he was addicted to heroin, He's HIV positive. He has hepatitis B. He's been through cancer, but he's still alive. We talked, and I was telling him all that was going on, and he has kind of a high-pitched New York accent. He said, hey, you need to be a Yogi Berra Christian. And I'm thinking, what? I had no clue. No clue what he was talking about. He's a tad off the wall, to say the least.
So I asked him, what do you mean? He said, it ain't over till it's over. Billy has the worst of the worst. His wife died in his arms. His son he has never found to this day. And in spite of all of that, he's hopeful. Every human being knows they're going to die. The difference is I feel it with every twitch in my muscles. I feel it in the depths of my being. And I realized that I was really dying because I had given up. I had considered my life as over. But it wasn't. The doctors gave me two to five years. That was over 10 years ago. If I'd given up and laid down to die, I would have missed walking my daughter down the aisle. I would have missed the birth of all five grandchildren. I would say Billy's phone call was God speaking to me with a New York accent. Billy, of all people, should have considered his life over. And he was saying, it ain't over till it's over. And I realize there is profound truth in that. I can't do the New York accent. I can't. I didn't expect another Christmas. And now I've had ten. And the more I have, the more I want. I have my life to share, my own story to share. One day it will be over, but it's not about how long I have left. It's about how I spend the time I do have. Ed Dobson, I, I love that story because I feel like he found God in Babylon. And that is an encouragement and a hope for us that God, despite our circumstances, despite what's going on, we can find God. And that brings hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for the living hope that you give us. Thank you for the hope that you can give us despite all kinds of circumstances, God. 
Lord, I pray for us. I pray that we would take hold of that hope as we move into this new year. I pray that you would give us grace and that we would experience your hope and feel your hope as we move into this new year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.